about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It's a morning in which we get to be thankful, a morning in which we remember what Jesus has done for us. And then now we're in a series talking about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're after. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to be going after. The last few weeks, we've talked about, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going again. The last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to be a disciple. First of all, we talked about how that we should gladly serve. Now, that seems to be kind of a given, especially in our day and age in which everybody, even uh, work and employers and, and companies now all talk about serving. Our schools talk about serving and volunteering. That seems to be kind of normal. We talk about that even in church. We should serve. And so we, we kind of embrace that one already. But then when we move to last week's message, when a disciple is one who endures suffering, it was a little tougher, wasn't it? It's a little harder because we now say that's who we're supposed to be, be willing to endure suffering. And today kind of goes right in line with that. That we are to be a disciple is one who fearlessly lives. One who lives without fear. Now, fear comes in many shapes and sizes, doesn't it? Fear comes even as a little child who, who is scared of the dark or a thunderstorm. I love the little story of little Sally as the, the, the lightning and the thunder was, was pounding and, and going on at night, making such a loud racket. It wakes her up and she screams and her mom comes into her room and she, the mom just calms her down. If you've had a child, you, you understand those fears and the tremble and you're just calming her. She just calmed her down. Sally, it's okay. It's okay. She strokes her hair. She says, it's okay. And then she sings her a song. Finally, Sally starts calming down. And as she calms down, she says, Mommy, would you stay with me all night? She says, no, dear. You know, I, I can't. I got to go stay in Daddy's room. Okay. And she just kind of deflated. And, oh, Dad, Mom, please, no. You know, I've got to go stay in Daddy's room. And then as she gets up, she leaves. And she's starting to shut the door. And she says, good night, sweetie. I love you. And the little Sally with a little trembling voice says, I love you. And then as she shuts the door, she hears the little words, the big sissy. Yeah, right? Fear. It comes in all shapes and sizes. Fear. I don't know what trembles you and what causes your soul to tremble. It could be the economy. It could be things within your own life as far as Am I going to get sick this year? Am I, what's happening in my family's life? What's going to happen with my grandkids, my children? There's fear that grips us. I read of Stalin, who was a great power leader in Russia. And in Moscow, in his home, he had a home that had eight different bedrooms. And every night he would sleep in a different room because he was afraid that if somebody knew exactly where he slept, he would be killed in the middle of the night. Fear. What grips you? Fear. As we talk about this, here's where we're needing to go. As a true follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple, our lives should not be categorized by fear. We should be fearless. Now, there's a t-shirt company and a, a clothing company now that has kind of marketed this whole idea of no fear. And they have great quotes, and all, some of the quotes are not as good, but some quotes, they're, they, they're talking about living on the edge and doing the crazy things of life and jumping off buildings and riding motorcycles and jumping and doing all kinds of no-fear extreme sports. 
we're not talking about crazy living, but what we're talking about is within your soul, living without fear. Because your base is not on anything other than Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10. You have your Bibles? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I like for us to stand when we read God's Word because it causes us to remember that we're not reading just any book. We're not just reading somebody else's thoughts. We're not just reading my thoughts. We're reading the very words of God. And I like that fact that it just causes us to remember. And since this is a time of remembrance and thanksgiving, I think it's great for us to be reminded once again that this is the very words of God for us today. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, you are going to find as we read the next few verses, Jesus is going to be speaking, and as Jesus speaks, he says three times, do not fear. You ready? Watch for it. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will, be, will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. I want to say thank you for how that you consistently move and work in our lives. Today we say thank you for Jesus and what he has done on the cross for us. And the salvation that he provides, the forgiveness that he consistently provides, the grace that is renewed, and his mercies that are renewed every morning. We want to say thank you. And today we're asking that we hear from you. We're asking that your Holy Spirit has freedom. We're asking that you'd give us the ears to hear and that, God, you would give us the courage to apply to our lives what we've heard. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. So now we look into God's Word, and as we see from here, we're going to see three things all tying into and all working with the idea of having no fear. A disciple can fearlessly live because of the three reasons he, Jesus gives us. Jesus, is, again, is the one who's speaking. And Jesus tells us here, we do not have to fear because God knows what's going on, and he will make it right. Look what he says. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Don't fear, even when they begin to twist the words, even when they begin to twist what's going on. See, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, it's going to get tough. You're going to have to endure suffering. You're going to have to endure the persecution. And as it gets tough, there's going to be a time in which what you have been saying gets twisted and turned. And they're going to actually make what you are saying as truth become what is wrong. Our world is very good at this, isn't it? 
to take what is right and actually turn it to what is wrong and take what is wrong and turn it into what's right. And Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen, and it's going to seem that when you're trying to do your best and when you're trying to live for me and when you're speaking on my behalf and you're working to give the truth, there's going to be moments and times in which it's going to be turned upside down and there's going to be lies given. There's going to be lies spoken about you. The truth will become twisted. And if you remember, as the persecution began to, to elevate and become hotter and hotter, the Jews were told that they were cannibals. The Christians, they were said, the lies began to go out throughout all the Roman Empire in the 70s, 70 AD. These guys, when they observe the Lord's Supper, they're actually eating people's flesh and drinking blood. That would be a pretty bad day, wouldn't it? Who wants to be a cannibal? Well, I don't, so don't become a Christian, right? Well, that makes it simple. Don't, don't do this. And yet, Jesus is giving a very clear, guys, what's going to happen is this. You're going to have lies told about you. When you stand for Jesus Christ, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in your workplace. It's going to happen in your home. It's going to happen in all different types of places. When you stand for Jesus, just be prepared and be ready because the world will take what is right and they will turn it to what is wrong. And they'll take what is wrong and they'll make it right. And Jesus says, just know this. You don't have to fear what they're going to say. You don't have to fear what persecution they bring on you. You don't have to fear what they're going to say. Why? Because Jesus says this, I will make it known. I will reveal it. Do you see that? I'm going to make it known. Whatever they hide, whatever they try to hide, there's coming a day when Jesus, the great judge, will stand and he will reveal all for what it truly is. You see, one of the great struggles that we have is when somebody has done us wrong or somebody speaks a lie about us, what do we want to do? We want retribution. We want to make it right. We want to fight to make it right. And Jesus says, you don't have to fear what they're going to say because I, at the end, I'm the great judge and I will make it right. What they've tried to hide, what they've turned and what they've twisted, I will make it right. This should give us great comfort, shouldn't it? I don't have to be the judge. I don't have to be the jury. I don't even have to fight. Here's Maybe you've been in those places, or maybe you're in the middle of it now. When people begin to say things, and they begin to talk about you, and they begin to bring up lies, and you're going, wait a minute, this is not even close to accurate. This is not true at all. And there comes a point where you just have to stop, and you stop trying to defend, and you just step back, and you say, you know what? I'm going to let God ultimately judge us, because we're not getting anywhere in this argument. And Jesus says, you don't have to fear because I will make it right. He continues on. And look what else he says. He says, for I have come, whoops, verse 27, when I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now, Jesus is helping us out because one of the fears that we have is, how do I bring up Jesus? How do I talk about Jesus? If I talk about Jesus, then they are going to maybe start saying negative things about me. They might twist my words and make me look like I'm a fool. So how do I do this? And Jesus says, just let me help you out. 
I will reveal it, I will make it right, and then also what I tell you in the dark, this is what you are to say in the light. We can start by, what does it mean for Jesus to tell his disciples something in the dark? Where does that start? It starts in your own personal walk with Jesus. In the closet, in the quietness. You see, the reality is this, just so that we're very clear. The greatest work and the greatest movement of God is not when I'm actually up here speaking to you. The greatest movement for Heath happens when Heath is alone in the dark and you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what's going on with me and God. I have no business speaking anything that I have not first personally heard from God. You, as you go out into your workplaces, as you go out and talk to your families this week, as you go out, when you speak, make sure that first and foremost, what you've heard in the dark, in the quietness, that still small voice, what you have heard, make sure that's what you're speaking. Don't speak just words. How else do you hear from God in the dark? You hear from God in the dark when you're in a Sunday school class, or maybe you're a home group, or a Bible study, and you're, you're listening to the Word of God, or maybe it's even in a message setting like this, or maybe it's over coffee with somebody, and as you open up the Word of God, and as you're talking, and you're looking into the Word of God, all of a sudden, something speaks to you, and you're going, that was from God, because there's no other way that message was for me at this moment, at this time. And Jesus says, hey guys, you don't have to be afraid of what you're going to say. You don't have to be afraid when they twist it. Why? I will reveal it and I will also give you the words to speak. When you're walking with me, you don't have to be afraid. And he continues on. He says, what you hear whispered. Now this was kind of weird because I was wondering if this was more a reference to the, the still small voice of God speaking. But I found that it was a tradition when a rabbi was teaching a student, a learner, a disciple how to publicly speak. What they would do is this. They would take the scroll and the, the student would stand behind the lectern and he would actually look at the scroll. And as he's looking at the scroll, he would begin trying to speak. Now, speaking and public speaking is still the number one fear for people. They don't like to speak in public. They don't want to speak in public. And as a student is learning how to speak to the crowds or how to teach a class, he would be speaking, and you know what would happen? The rabbi would be right here behind him. Can you imagine that? Your professor standing behind you and leaning up into your ear saying, You didn't say this. And, and he would begin to tell him what to say. And so the idea is this. The student is standing here speaking, and the rabbi is telling him what to speak, and he's whispering it into his ear. As a disciple, as a learner, you should not be afraid of what others will do and how they will twist your words. Why? Because your goal is truly to listen to what Jesus is saying and speak it and you don't have to be afraid and then he says and shout it from the housetops do you see that that's the next phrase shout it from the housetops what does that mean well they didn't have texting back then all right they didn't have internet they didn't have the news they didn't have tv 
They didn't even have megaphones. So what they would do is if they were going to proclaim an exciting message is they would get up on the housetops and they would begin to shout it. I got engaged. And they'd be excited and they would share it. If the, there's a decree that comes down from the king, the messenger would get up on the housetops and he would begin to read in a loud voice for all to hear. And then he would go down the block of another block or so, and then he would get on another housetop and he would proclaim it again. And he would go from housetop to housetop proclaiming the message. And Jesus says, have boldness. Don't be afraid of how they're going to twist your words because I'm going to be speaking into your life in the darkness, in that still, quiet, small voice. I will whisper into your ear what you should say. So proclaim it on the rooftops. This should give us great courage, shouldn't it? When we are afraid to go into our work or we're afraid to talk to our doctor or those who are sitting around us as we're working out or wherever we go, all I have to do is to talk about what Jesus is talking to me about. You don't have to be profound. You don't even have to be a seminary graduate. All you have to do is what? Share what God's teaching you in your personal life. That relieves a lot of pressure, doesn't it? I will give you the words and I'll whisper it to you. Don't be afraid. Two, we, can be, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because as a disciple, people can only bring us temporary pain. Now watch what he says here. And do not, verse 28, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now, stop for just a moment. What is one of the greatest fears of life? Yes, public speaking, but the second one is, or really probably before that is what, death? Would you agree with that? We don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. That's miserable. I mean, dead is dead. And dead means you have no more life. It means we understand the point. We don't want to go there. And Jesus says, your greatest fear should not be the person that can actually bring pain into your life because that pain is only temporary. Physical death is only temporary. Now, that's hard to put into our minds, isn't it? Because for us, we know it's more than temporary. It's once you're dead, you're dead. But for the believer, ready for this, ready? For the believer, you're not just dead. Paul tells us that when you're absent from the body, you are what? present with the Lord. Isn't that exciting? So the worst that anybody can ever do to me, they can tell lies about me or they could kill me. That's the worst that can ever happen to me. That's the worst that can ever happen to you. And Jesus is teaching his disciples as they're going out on their first mission, as they're going out, he says, guys, I want you to understand there's a fear and every one of us have it. There's a fear that what if people make fun of us? What if they actually persecute us? What if they kill us? And Jesus tells his disciples, get ready, because the worst that they can ever do to you is only temporary. It's death. And his disciples buy into it, as we saw already. Eleven of them, Judas being excluded, all eleven are willing to actually endure the temporary pain of being a martyr to follow Jesus Christ. 
that should pour iron into our souls. Strengthen us and give us power. Because what he says is, is this, ready? There is someone you should fear. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There is someone we should all fear. We don't like to talk about hell, do we? We don't even like to bring it up. But can I just make sure we understand who brought hell up? If you have a Bible that has red letters, that means Jesus is speaking. Who brought it up? Jesus. It's not some figment of our imaginations. It's not some dream. Hell is an actual real place. And Jesus makes it very clear. The person you should fear is really not a person at all. It's the God of the universe. Because not only does he have life and death, human terms, in his hands, he also has power over all eternity. You see, if you have ever been conceived, your life does have a starting point, but it will go on living forever. Yes, on earth it may die, but there is an eternal spirit, an eternal soul that lives on and on and on. And just so we're clear, hell was never meant for humans. It was never designed for humans. Hell was designed for who? Satan and his demons, the fallen angels. It was not meant for us. You see, God is holy, God is loving, God is just, God is kind, he's good, he's merciful, he's gracious. And because he's so holy, and he's so perfect and so right, you ready for this? When we humans who have been made and created to bring God glory and honor, when we say we're not gonna bring God glory, when we say that our life is our own and we can do with it as we please and we don't need God, that is called sin. And it violates the very created order in which you've been made. And when you violate that created order, you are sinning against yourself and you're sinning against God. And because God is just, that rebellion has to be paid for. And the reality is this, you can't pay for it by yourself. How do I know that? Because if you choose not to allow Jesus to pay for it, you choose to try to pay for it on your own, you will be condemned for all eternity in hell trying to pay for it, and it will never be satisfied. Ever. But because God loves us, what he does is he sends his son, Jesus, who is God in flesh, and he lives perfect, sinless and he goes to a cross, and on the cross, it's not just a human means of torture. It is, but it's so much more. You see, on the cross, God takes his divine wrath against sin, and he pours out that wrath onto Jesus on the cross, and on the cross, Jesus absorbs the wrath of God for sin, and Jesus pays for all sin one time, and it satisfies God's justice on the cross. And just to make sure that we understand that he has the power to pay for it, 
Three days later, Jesus raises again. And he's alive in heaven. What an incredible gift. And here's what he says. All you have to do is trust me. Ask for forgiveness. Trust Jesus' death on the cross to have paid for your sins and to ask him to be the Lord of your life and you receive salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life where when you die from this place, you are now in heaven forever. What an incredible gift. What a great deal. And Jesus says, guys, the only person you should fear is not humans, not government, not anything else. There's only one person you should fear, and that's the God who has power over life and death and all eternity. And if you've gotten that right, do you even have to fear him? Death becomes a welcome because why? You ready? Yes, there's pain and death. Yes, yes there's sorrow and death. But in that midst of that death, there's that hope that you get to be in heaven forever enjoying God's salvation. What a gift. What a gift. You don't have to fear. Now, Jesus does something amazing here. This next part is probably some of the most encouraging words. Look what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He changes and goes right from a hell to now a sparrow. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? What, how much is a penny? In our day and age, a penny is not worth really, you can't even buy bubble gum anymore for a penny. Penny's not worth anything. And even in their day, what he's talking about is a denaria, which is one-sixteenth of our penny. So it's even less than a penny, but you can buy two sparrows with it. What are sparrows? Sparrows are insignificant birds, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're not really worth anything. In their day and age, they could buy two sparrows and they could actually cook them. But if you've ever tried to even eat dove, you know there's not much meat on a dove. And a sparrow is even smaller than that, right? So, I mean, you're not going to get much more than an appetizer. It's a sparrow. I mean, it's not worth looking at. A few years ago, um, we had Christmas Eve service. And you remember that big snowstorm that came in? It was just a huge snowstorm. And my family had already went up to Oklahoma to to see their family, and so I got stranded here, and my family was up there, so Christmas morning, I wake up, and my family's not at, at the house, it was one of those weird moments, because we got separated, Oklahoma City got nailed, and uh, Stillwater got nailed, and then down here, we, we were, everything was shut down, so Christmas, I wake up, and it's Christmas, and here I am by myself, and I'm talking to Jamie on the phone, and there was this moment where Xander, who was around three at that time, two and he wakes up, I guess it was three, he wakes up and he cuddles up with Jamie out at Grandma's house and they're looking out at all the freshly, you know, snow cover. And there's this little sparrow that actually hops on the bush right there and, and Xander goes, oh, Mom, look at that bird. And they're just talking about, and Jamie's like, I wonder if he's cold. And they're just having this brilliant moment, right? And then Xander goes, I wish Daddy was here. And Jamie said she was just, you know, it was just, Oh, this is so precious. And then she, and Xander goes, he could shoot that bird. <laughs> you got to love it. That's a boy for you, right? He could shoot that bird. The birds are not, these, these sparrows, we know they're, they're insignificant, aren't they? They really are. Now look what Jesus says. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. He's not only in control, he knows about it, 
He knows when they'll fall out of the sky, whether it's fall out of their nest, run into a building and die, whatever happens, shot with a BB gun, they know, or God knows what happens to them. Now, here's what I found that was very interesting as I studied this. The Greek word here for fall can also be used, and it's used in other contexts, for hop. Now, think about that one for a minute. Your heavenly Father not only knows when birds fall to the ground dead, but he also knows when they hop on the ground. He knows that insignificant detail. How do birds move on the ground? They hop. He knows every time they hop and every time they move. That's amazing. God knows. And then he continues on and he says what? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. For some of us, that's not very many, right? For others, that's, hey, we can start counting. 140,000 hairs on the average human head. And he knows when you take a shower and it falls out. He knows in the wind how many fell out when you walked up here today. He knows it all. Isn't that amazing? The insignificant details that we don't really give much thought to, God knows all about it. And Jesus is setting up something so amazing for us. Watch this. You ready? So fear not. Why are you worried? Why are you afraid? Don't fear. Who's speaking this? Jesus is speaking. He said, don't be afraid of the economy falling apart. Don't be afraid of what's going on. Don't, I heard the word economic Armageddon this week. That we're approaching an economic Armageddon. People are afraid of what they're supposed to be doing and what's going to happen. And can I just encourage us, fear not. If God knows the insignificant details of a bird hopping or dying, if God knows how many hairs are on your head at any given moment, if God knows all of that, look what he says. Ready? You are of more value than many sparrows. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You matter to God. What is beyond us is why in the world should we matter to God? In the scheme of the world, in the scheme of everything that's going on, there's really no reason that God has to love us, is there? But yet he does. He loves us. I'm reminded of the great theologian. After he wrote, spent his whole career writing and writing books upon books, commentaries and theology books. As he was on his deathbed, they asked him a simple question. What's your greatest thought? What is your greatest thought about God that you've ever had? You know what he said? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. <laughs> a little kid's song. And yet it captivates our mind and it blows the philosophers out of the water because it's hard to fathom. Why would the God of the universe who could make the stars to make the planets turn in different ways and rotate around the sun, why would he think about you? Why would he think about you above creation and actually provide salvation? Because he loves you. It's amazing. So should you fear? 
when you speak boldly. And if you speak boldly, you can just guarantee there's going to be times in which you're going to have hard times come on your life. When you speak about Him and you're speaking what God is doing in your life in the quietness, don't fear. When you look at what people are saying and they're twisting your words, don't fear. Don't fear because you matter to God and what's going on in your life matters to God. I was reminded of little Johnny as I finished the story because it's just too funny not to tell. Little Johnny was afraid of the dark. And as he was afraid of the dark, his mom was asking him to help prepare dinner. So she says, Johnny, would you go into the pantry and get the can of tomato soup? And little Johnny says, no, it's dark, Mom. She says, it's okay. Go ahead. You can do it. You're a big boy. Go ahead. Go get the can of tomato soup. Mommy, no, I'm scared. No, I don't. And Mommy, please, no. She says, it's okay. And then Mommy had a great idea. Tell him Jesus is with you. So she says, Johnny, you can do this because Jesus is with you in the dark. So uh, Johnny goes over to the pantry, and as he opens up the pantry and he begins to look in, it's dark and he doesn't want to step in. So Johnny does this. He reaches his arm in and he says, Jesus, if you're in there, please hand me the can of tomato soup. with you. 